Hello and welcome to a special episode of the Bang to Rights podcast. My name's Pete Murray. I'm a lecturer in multimedia journalism here at Manchester Metropolitan University. And I'm joined by my MMU colleague, Dave Porter. Hello, Dave. Hi, Pete. And it's a special episode this week because we're covering a live Newsday hookup, which our journalism students did with counterparts at Fanshawe College in Canada, just outside Toronto. Over just a couple of hours on Wednesday afternoon, the two groups of journalism students produced a batch of stories for the Northern Quota News website here in MMU and for the 1069XFM news platform out in Fanshawe. Dave, you were one of the organisers of the project, along with Bang to Rights' Ellie Shember Critchley and Jim Van Horn, who's Professor of Broadcast Journalism at Fanshawe School of Contemporary Media. Now, we'll hear from Ellie and Jim in just a moment, but Dave, first, how did the project come about? Well, we, we have Wednesday afternoons, news days, uh, regular um, each week, going out, getting stories. And Ellie, I knew, was going to Canada for she's going to do some teaching there. It's our sister university. And so it's just an obvious opportunity. So Ellie suggested this um, that we'll get up, get together, and our students would work on joint stories. We uh, agreed beforehand on a list of uh, topics which we thought would be common to both, um, you know, Manchester and Ontario, and that we could cover. So um, we planned for the event. Uh, I put a call out to students. And, um, and actually, the, what the great thing on the day was that we, you know, we, we, we Skyped. Uh, in fact, we used Whereby. And our students could then talk to um, students at Fanshawe. And they could talk about what they were, stories they were doing, what angles they were taking, who they were going to speak to. Um, it worked amazingly well, you know, it, it, it took a bit of planning, but it all came together on the day. And the students actually got out of the blocks quite fast, didn't they? Certainly at this end. They had to do, um, because we were in there from one-ish now, um, I think Ellie got in touch about two, which is 9am for those guys. So they were just starting the day, but for us, we were knee-deep in um, allocating stories. And I said, listen, you've got to get out there, get back within a couple of hours. We need your stories in. And then the basic premise was go out, speak to some people, do some vox pops do some research, uh, get them some pictures and video, get some mojo pieces in, which, you know, they all did. They, they were out. It was nice. At one stage, there was nobody in the office but me and you, Pete. And I always like an empty newsroom because it means they're all out there doing this stuff. And then they slowly trickled back uh, and, uh, you know, started banging away the typewriters. Yeah, so it was at that point when the two of us were on our own that we spoke to Ellie and Jim, and we'll come to that in just a second. But the other thing I think was, was great about it, not just the turnout and the speed that the students turned the stories around, but a lot of the stuff came from them themselves, didn't it? I mean, the, the basic structure was, was yourself and Ellie and Jim, but the, the students themselves came up with all the, the, the basic story ideas and how they were going to tackle them all. Yeah, they did. we just said, you know, let's, let's think of this topics like homelessness, vaping, uh, maybe drugs. Uh, so, you know, there was, there was some stuff on nitrous oxide, sometimes called hippie crack. They, uh, Kartik and Declan went out, did a fantastic piece on that. Um, Leonie and, and um, Camilla did a great piece on the coronavirus. I just said, let's go and do it. And they came back with some fantastic quotes uh, looking at how the university, you know, would uh, would react if it, if it came over here. So really, it was free reign. They all had strong news values. They spoke to people. They all produced rounded stories off on that. 
Okay, and so as you mentioned, Dave, one of the stories that the, the groups decided to look at was the impact of coronavirus yeah. here and in Toronto. I caught a little clip of you briefing uh, Northern Quarter reporters Camila and uh, Camila Sebesteva and Leonie Backhouse, as, as, and we'll play a little bit of that. Straight after that, you'll hear from some of the students they spoke to in Manchester's Chinatown over their concerns about the virus. We're going to speak to the NHS and find out if um, they are prepared, if like... Um they will find out about cases in the UK because so far there's like no case uh, recognised. I suppose Manchester is home to uh, a big population of Chinese people and would it be a big, um, they must have relatives out there do you think? Would it be a worry for them? Uh, yeah probably so we try to reach uh, some Chinese students if possible and mm -hmm. ask them also like um, other students from the UK if they are worried or not. Okay. And maybe there is some, um, some guidance issued by the universities, uh, do, do you think? Uh, we're going to ask Manchester Metropolitan University, the head office, about how they're dealing with the virus and if they're preventing something, because some universities are taking some quite drastic steps and putting some students in the quarantine, the ones that are coming back from China. Um, so we will see about amendments. Yes, I think it will be interesting to see what major uh, organisations like Manmet, Manchester, Salford University are doing. Um, I mean, it feels quite far away, but actually it's a real issue for people here. And they might have relatives, do you think, out, out there, or English people? They might, and I think a lot of people were travelling to China in this period because it's the New Year's Eve right now happening in China. Yeah, yeah. So it's quite bad timing, I think. Hi, uh, I'm Raphael, and... I'm 20 and I'm studying in the University of Manchester. Currently in UK, I think it's not as serious as in Hong Kong because uh, like the cases in Hong Kong or like Wuhan is rising exponentially. Mm -hmm. um, but we still have to be like aware of what is happening to UK right now because like there are still a lot of Chinese. Like after the Chinese New Year, they are coming back from China and we still have to be aware. So I'm like bringing a mask whenever, like when coming to Chinatown or uh, somewhere where there's a lot of Chinese. Have you been to the New Year's uh, festival this weekend? No, because I'm kind of worried about the. I, I'm kind of avoiding to like places where there's a lot of Chinese people mm. gathering together. Uh, other thing I'm worried is because like wearing masks is not very common here, and I've been like going to pharmacies or. Uh, other other shops to look for masks and they said uh, they don't sell masks uh, and I saw there's uh, little people uh, wearing masks on the street yeah. and but the, the the situation in Wuhan or China is actually very serious and I saw there's not 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 much precaution here so that's why I'm worried about our students are um, out in the community covering stories of interest uh, today uh, there's quite a bit of talk about mental health because there's a national campaign going on to raise money for awareness uh, of mental health issues. This is a huge issue. I can tell you that at our college, our, our counseling services and our support services are taxed uh, and uh, wait lists for getting in to see counselors. And it's a problem. And I, I don't know if there's a, a, a good solution on the horizon beyond keep talking about it. Are there any specific issues around um, mental health and, and journalists, working journalists? Is that something that you kind of pick up on as part of 
your teaching as well, Jim, because it's something that we're very conscious of. And I know that a number of big organisations such as what ABC in Australia, the Reuters Agency, they kind of have mental welfare programmes that they run with some of the working journalists. And it's something that, although we're conscious of, we haven't kind of integrated it into our teaching yet. But is that something that, that you do there? On a, on a daily basis, just in terms of monitoring uh, uh, students who are, uh, our students are out in the community covering stories every day. And that includes some very uh, graphic issues in the courts. So for example, if we have a student that uh, we send out to cover a murder trial and we are constantly checking uh, to make sure they're supported and if they need anything. We don't wait for them to come to us. We're checking with them every day. One of the issues that we also deal with, we are encouraged to teach an entrepreneurial kind of spirit. And in that area that you describe, it is that freelance journalist that often will get into dangerous situations around the world. And we want, if you're employed by a company, they're probably going to have a good structure in place for you to, um, to deal with this. But um, often freelancers have this a little bit more mentality of I've got to get the story. And uh, we encourage our students in the entrepreneurial journalism course, look, you've got to take safety measures. Canada, London, Ontario, very safe. But if you're going into, uh, we do tell stories about a couple of Canadian journalists who have been kidnapped and abused and uh, in pla dangerous places. Our students get into these world hotspots and cover these stories for bigger networks. They do have some supports in place, but uh, on a freelance level, we, may, we make sure our students are aware, look, this is not fun and games uh, when you get into this. So uh, don't be, as a, the phrase we use, don't be a, a cowboy or a cowgirl to, think that you're immune from any of, uh, of this. And the urge to get the story and get paid is, is quite substantial. Dave, this is something that we've discussed separately, kind of on the podcast as well, but something that we discussed with our students is whether, you, Jim, you mentioned uh, students uh, covering murder trials, for example. Now, we're very, very careful with our students, although we teach, we teach media law, we teach court practice and so on. We have never, I don't think, sent students actually to report actively on a trial. David, yeah. what are some of the issues around that for us here, do you think? Well, I think, obviously, uh, in some ways, it's, you know, the uh, the shorthand, which is the key factor, but also in court, it's such a, a peculiar environment that I think we'd have to shadow students. Um, you just actually, the thing about court is, when you turn up on that day, you've no real idea what's going to happen. Uh, you know, you, you go to a fire or you go to a car crash or you go to an incident, you've some idea of what you're going to encounter. Uh, I've been in some court cases and I've in fact taken students to court cases um, which are jaw-dropping when the case starts to unfold and you hear the people's life stories. Uh, and actually when I take groups of students to court, I always say to them, uh, this will be interesting in a good way and a bad way. You know, you will see all of human life there, but you'll see personal tragedies, uh, hardships, uh, very intimate details of people's personal lives. And as a journalist, you have to learn to, you know, detach yourself to a degree. Um, and actually, you know, that that is something which you can only, you can't teach that in a way. You can only teach that you've got to try and stand back from it and, and, and become not too, 
emotionally attached. But, you know, for example, we in Manchester, we had a trial that's just finished. It was four separate trials of a serial rapist. Uh, I know that the, the Manchester Evening News reporter covered the entire trial for a year. Now, that, that must have taken some emotional toll, you know, to sit there and actually, you know, watch the graphic uh, videos, which I believe were very, uh, well, very graphic, you know. Um, how you cope with that, I don't know, it's tricky. So to, to ask students to do that is, is a, you know, is a big ask. It absolutely is. And um, we we make sure and, and, and we are walking with them every step of the way. But it's interesting that we find it's kind of the most, one of the most appealing assignment. We have a lineup of students who want to do it. No, uh, so I, I don't. But we want to make sure exactly that they're getting the support should they need it. One of our students, uh, just to give you an example of what you're talking about, a horrible murder trial of a, of a nine-year-old girl was killed. And the parent of that nine-year-old girl was in the courtroom. One of our reporters, and she was just a tiny thing. Uh, she happened, uh, the father at, at one point, took off after the accused over the into the, into the glass. Yeah. And he landed a couple of punches and she was kind of in the in the middle of this. Uh, now, we, we yanked her out of now. We couldn't report it and we uh, used it as a lesson. Like if the jury uh, doesn't see it, hear it, it's not evidence. You don't report it. The judge made sure of this. And but we used it as a lesson that, um, look, uh, these things are real life. And uh, and many of our students are employed by local radio stations while they're here. And oftentimes they're sent to these court stories uh, and they're still students of ours. So um, I know what you mean as far as the protective aspect of it. And I've also, uh, don't know why, but I've, I, I think with true crime popularity on Netflix, yeah. Uh, seem to phase students uh, less nowadays. I mean, it's interesting, Jim, what you said there, because the other aspect which we haven't talked about is the fact that you may become, uh, as the reporter, the object of somebody's uh, lashing out, you know, because they know you're going to be putting it in the paper, on the website, on the news, and they'll come after you. You know, how dare you and try, try and rip the camera out of your hand. And, you know, I've had that, people saying, don't put it in the paper, uh, I'll get my you know, whoever on you. So you then become the object of somebody else, the, the defendants, the guilty parties, uh, you know, wrath. The other thing that we found so uh, fascinating modern era is are just regular police stories where somebody is charged with somewhat of an embarrassing uh, crime. We no longer put the names online. Uh, uh, even though the police release the name publicly, unless we're going to follow that story all the way through the court system. And th in many cases, these uh, people who are charged are, are they get off. But uh, being an online uh, service that we write that story up, that's forever. And so we've had many, our students have been faced with calls about Hey, can you take my name off that off? Because when somebody does a Google search, my name shows up on your website as being charged with this. Well, yeah, I, I either got off or I've served, you know, I paid the fine yeah. and I'm yeah. looking for a job now and this isn't helping. So um, yeah. we no longer use names for what I would say would be 
uh, more run of the mill, but just for stories that we can't commit to following all yes. the way through. Uh, we don't use names anymore uh, on, on many stories. Yeah, no, I, I, we were always told, and I tell my students that, you know, if you either start a case and follow it to a finish, or, or you don't, you know, you can't leave it halfway through, uh, and you commit to it, uh, or otherwise, move on. Yeah. Can I just come in very quickly, just ask you about, um, one of the reasons that we're doing this at all is because you've spent an awful long time setting all of this up. So tell us a little bit about how things have gone um, at Fanshawe College the last couple of days that you've been there. and. What's your impression of the way that they deal with a news day like this? Um, well, it's very much part of the curriculum. So the, the students that our students have met today are coming towards the end of their, their diplomas and graduate certificates. Is that right, Jim? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so now they're in the rhythm of just coming in as if this was their, it is their full-time job, um, coming in for their news meeting with their tutor in the morning um, with ideas for stories. And I've been really impressed with how um, clued up and knowledgeable the students are on what, what's interesting the Fanshawe audiences. So the news meeting this morning took a good hour with them kicking around potential um, story ideas, way of moving um, yesterday's stories on, and they're already out covering things. In fact, some of the students weren't here this morning because they were already out um, collecting um, content for stories they were covering today, one of which I think is the coronavirus one. Mm -hmm. So we're, yeah. we're working jointly on that one as we speak, aren't we? Because yes. we've got our two students here working on the kind of UK end of that thing. So, so Ellie or Jim, tell me a little bit about the impact that coronavirus is having, well, specifically in Ontario, well, across Ontario, but in London particularly. Um, well, just from my perspective, when I flew in, they were um, identifying people as they came off the flight. So um, that was before you got to border control. So they were already checking uh, the routes that you'd come through and pulling people out of the line and I, I can only presume that was for temperature checks before they got anywhere near border. Um, coming down here, travelling around Toronto and coming down here yesterday on the train, um, there were people wearing masks, um, which, you know, is very unusual to see around here. Um, if, I, if I'm over in Hong Kong, the use of masks is quite um, a common sight, but over in Toronto and down here, it's unheard of, I think. Apparently, got the political overtones that it, that it did in Hong Kong when you were there a couple of months back. Well, exactly. That's, that's just, the masks are very different over there. So um, there is, um, it's as high on the news agenda here as it is back home. And it was interesting comparing news stories this morning um, that CBS and um, The Guardian are equally reporting issues of um, families being separated because of repatriation um, uh, taking place of both Canadian and um, UK citizens. So that, that's a very common thread that, that we're seeing in the news coverage. Is it where you are? Pardon? The Chinese community there in London? Fairly significant. I'd say of, uh, we're a city of 380,000 or so, and I've heard uh, estimates of uh, 16,000, 17,000 are uh, Chinese. So very popular destination for post-secondary studies. Um, and our, our sense of it and our medical officer of health has been quite, it's a great lesson in uh, the sense of calm and being precise. Eleanor and I have talked a lot about just the onus on the true professionals to be absolutely precise about the reporting and not 
fall into and create uh, and add to the hysteria that may or may not uh, take place. I guess that's all individual, but the sense of, of common perspective. Uh, we're a country of about 36 million people, and we had our third presumptive case uh, released this morning. So the odds are, you know, just asked, but I mean, we obviously know how quickly it could spread, but it seems like uh, the professionals have a good handle on it. We went through the SARS epidemic, how many years? Uh, maybe eight, 10 years ago. Um, and a lot of our medical professionals uh, seem very well, at least the feeling that the public gets is one of trust, that they've got a handle on whether it be isolation or they're uh, working on a vaccine. Um, I don't sense that there's a great deal of panic in the public. And that's what our health professionals are urging right now. So that's Jim Van Horn and MMU's Ellie Sheber Critchley at Fanshawe College in Ontario. We're joined now by Liz Hannaford, who is also one of the organisers of Newsday. Um, Liz, Dave, how so? Liz, how did how did you think it went in the end? I thought it went really well, given that you know we haven't had a huge amount of time to organise it, and the students came, you know, pretty much starting from scratch when they turned up for, on the day. We're impressed with how many students turned up. That's always you know a good starting point, and um, they worked in pairs and they seemed to be you know really enthusiastic about the stories they were covering and you know we got um just looking at the website now four or five stories up two, there two more, to come. two more to come by the end of the day mm -hmm. um and yeah i think they enjoyed discussing the stories with their canadian counterparts and realizing that you know there were differences similarities that were worth exploring um, and now I'm just looking at how um, the Canadian students used our students' work in their own, for their own website to get different angles. And that's really interesting to look at as well. Yeah, because they had quite different perspectives on stuff. So, for example, the um, two of the students... Um Chimwemwe and uh, Callum were looking at uh, cannabis, legalising cannabis, and it's already legal in, in Toronto, isn't it? Where, in contrast, the, uh, the the laughing gas thing was a complete novelty to the students in Canada. They, they hadn't come across it before. No, they? you think, you know, issues, we tried to pick issues which would be uh, experienced in both cities, you know, homelessness and, you know, drugs. Um, because it's so prevalent around here, you see these little vials of the nitrous oxide everywhere. Um, and then, of course, it turns out it's a complete new phenomenon to them, and it's now on the website. Yeah. Um, they seem to be really taken with it uh, in a good way. <laughs> Not too much. Yeah. In a good way. Um, but I think going back to what they said, you know, the fact that we could Skype into the uh, news uh, um, conference and the students could talk about, and the students could talk about how they'd um, gone out there and got their stories. One practical difficulty was the time lag. Mm. You know, it meant that we were rushing, we were against the clock. They were just starting. You know, it was like uh, when we started at two, it was 9 a.m. for them. So practical logistics are quite tricky. Maybe um, next time we'll... we'll a slight tweaking here and there. But it did mean that our students got off to, a, they, they got motoring on this really Absolutely. quickly, didn't they? And they yeah, turned they the material to. around really fast. Yeah, they did. They got, you know, they, they did their research. They thought about what angle they were going to take. They discussed it with the, um, the Canadians because we had like an open talk back um, with the Canada newsroom. And then they went out to get, they all got original material. They all went out and talked to, to local people because the stories were about students. So it was legitimate to talk to to students for their views on things. They went um, and spoke, there were, one group of students was doing a story about vaping. 
So they went to a shop here outside the university um, to speak to the, the shop owner about that. So, you know, it was really impressive that they were going out and getting original material and turning it around. Some of them shot video. I think the, the, um, the two who were doing the coronavirus, they were looking yeah. at, because um, we have, I think um, Manchester has the biggest population of Chinese students in the whole of Europe. So it meant that was a really good angle for us. And they they basically just had to stand on Oxford Road and you will find some Chinese students, which they, which they did. Christmas. Yeah, and so they were able to talk to them and they found students who had deliberately not gone to any Lunar New Year celebrations because they were worried about coronavirus and things like that. So, you know, in that short space of time, they got some really good original material from different perspectives, which is, you know, as much as we can ask, really. And I think actually that was one of the elements of the day that we said, listen, we're going to come in, we're on a very tight schedule, two till half, four or five. You've got to go out and get stories, speak to people quickly. We can't wait around, don't email anybody. And that sense of urgency, you know, it worked. Yeah. And in fact, I remember Chim saying when you'd briefed her and Callum on the story and she went, oh, it's like the real thing, isn't it? And I guess that's exactly that's exactly what we're, we're preparing the students for. So, um. Should we be doing it again, do you think? Definitely. Um, maybe more prep, maybe uh, different time zones. Think about how we're going to be, you know, align each other. But definitely, I think it's really worth the exercise for the students and they've got a lot out of it. And we've now cross-published. And Liz? Yeah, absolutely. I don't think there's much we can do about the time difference, no. to be honest. So we'll probably have to probably stuck with that. We just need to find some practical practical ways around that. But yeah, definitely. It was just, it was just um, really... Um, inspiring really to see our students talking about serious stories and and discussing them in different angles and realizing that their counterparts across the Atlantic were interested in what they had to say I think that was a real kind of um, motivation for them really Good. So we'll mark that down as a success. So a, a big thanks to all the students who took part in the Newsday and, to, of course, to Ellie and Jim at Fanshawe for pulling things together at that end. Next week, we're hoping to speak to Claire Sanderson, editor at Women's Health magazine, looking at issues around diversity in the industry, portrayal of women, and how things have changed in the years since she started working in journalism. So do subscribe to the podcast for that. Search for us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or on Stitcher, and we'll drop straight onto your podcast feed, or you'll find us on the Northern Quota SoundCloud feed while you're having a look at all that material from uh, from Fanshawe and from here. It's all one word, MMU Northern Quota. That's it for this week. Remember to tweet us at RightsBang if there are any issues from your reading or your lectures you'd like us to cover in future editions. In the meantime, we have been Bang to Rights. Thank Liz. Thank you. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Pete. And thank you for listening. We'll see you soon. Okay. Um, Jim, that, that's fine for me, I think. Yeah, now, was my accent, did that my accent stand out at all? Hey, Jim, your accent's much clearer to most listeners than mine is. <laughs> well, I, I, I was in... Uh, my I still get students saying, what did you just say? Yeah, we were, uh, we were in Edinburgh in the summer during the, uh, the Fringe Festival, and yep. uh, they kept warning us in Edinburgh, don't go to Glasgow, you won't understand a thing they say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, it just happens to be true. <laughs> is that true? <laughs> okay. Uh, listen, thanks very much. I'll, I'll switch off the recording.